excited about uh, seeing all you guys here, um, all you folks here tonight. It's a full house, um, and then a newcomer, and then the people in their first 30 days. It's really awesome um, when it's a full house here. And uh, you got lucky because we've got a really interesting speaker. No, it's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think um, I, I have, I'm, I'm coming up on almost six years. I'm up there on uh, December 28th. And so the whole time I've been coming here, I've seen this guy, Scotty. And uh, he's just cool. And, wanted, and I'll tell you why I think he's cool and why I wanted to, to do this. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Because um, he's so, like today, he said he just ran 11 miles and that he might be dehydrated. And so, like, he just, like, he can run 11 miles. He can, like, ride his bicycle really far. And then he, like, plays in a band and um, called The Fools which is interesting. And we were wondering, like, um, if it, many people came here tonight to see him tell his story, would, would go and see his band. He'd be a lot happier about that. <laughs> but um, he also, like, not only is he playing a band, this is all, like, a sober dude doing all this. Like, he plays music, and then he's got some business, computery data, some kind of job that I don't totally understand that's, like, super corporate. So he does that too, and it's complicated. But he's also like in a band, and he's just and he's sober, and so and he's always got this funny dog. What's the dog's name, Scotty? Zeke. Zeke. It's adorable. Which, yeah. So, like, what I was trying to say before is that one of the things that helps me to stay sober is to come to Bolden and see the same faces over years of time. Like, I can look out, I was going to say in the audience, but in the, and I, I recognize so many of you guys, and that's what helps me. I'm like, oh, there's Jenna, there's, you know, Matt, and there's, there's uh, Scotty, and just... That's what, I don't know, I just love that. So I can always know that if I go sometime during the month to an 8 o'clock or 5, that I'm going to run into Scotty eventually. And I did last week, and I didn't have a speaker. And, and I said, can you, can you tell us your story? And so anyway, it's Scotty. He's pretty cool, at least in my opinion. And um, that's that, Scotty. Oh, <laughs> All right, so uh, come here, dog. I'm Scotty, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, this is Zeke. He's part of my story, so I brought him tonight. He will always have, well, let's hope, about two months more sobriety than I do, because that's uh, about exactly how much older he is than when I came into the rooms here. So. Um, <laughs> trying to think today like if I was going to tell like if I was going to put a title on what my autobiography would be and uh, this is the type of like indulgence that I do when I'm alone and uh, <laughs> just the one that I came up with was it would just be like Scotty May I am not nice <laughs> and the reason I say that is because like my whole life people have always been like you're really nice you're really nice and I'm like if you only knew what I was thinking right now about you and me and everybody else, you wouldn't think so. And uh, the other reason I say that 
is because you know with that in mind like i don't i don't want to be nice i want to be honest and there's a difference you know i think you can kind of do both but anyway that's what i prayed for today to be honest as i tell my story so uh let's see uh i'm 35 years old i wrote here pause for gasps of disbelief (laughs) um okay uh i was uh i was born in detroit and i grew up in a a little community outside there my parents were high school sweethearts they met at uh henry ford high they were 15 and 17 respectively and i just say that to kind of give some context like i grew up in a pretty stable little loving household i have Two little sisters. I am thus the oldest, and I've thought a lot about how that plays into who I am. You know, more just thinking about me, like this whole idea of birth order. You know, the oldest sometimes is kind of lost and scared, doesn't really have someone else to to base things off of. My little sister is like so even keel. But um, let's see. Both my parents worked, so my grandma pretty much raised us. She was there every day. Um, She, like, you know, cleaned the house, put us on the bus, all that kind of stuff, and um, was big influence. She is older than water, um, and she's still kicking. She's actually, like, 95. But um, so, like, my parents, it, it was weird, like, you know, I have I remember being a kid and my dad coming home drunk a couple times after work and if I thought about it actually he was about the same age that I am now um but uh there was one night that they had like a big fight and he stopped and uh you know he would only really drink at family occasions and things like that mom and grandma would you know, they'd put down a bottle of wine or two every night, but I never felt like I grew up in what was really considered like an alcoholic household. Um, but there's a whole lot of alcoholism in my family, especially on my mom's side of things. So uh, let's see. It's a little, just a little bit about kind of where I came from. This you know, like little town I grew up in was just sort of like... I don't know, whatever. It was like, it was this little small town. Uh, you know, the majority of the population of Michigan was within about a 90-mile radius of that. If you've ever been to Michigan, a whole lot of trees, and then Detroit. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's see. I remember when I was, a, like, one of my first, first memories uh, when I was a little kid. The Well, the first, and I think it's kind of interesting in the context of things, like, my first words were high. Like there was kids playing across the street and I was like one year old and already I was like, those are the other people that I want to go and fit in with and I'm trying to get their attention. And that started already at like the age of one. And uh, when I was like two and a half, all the other kids were older than me. And, uh, and so I told my grandma that she had to take the training wheels off my bicycle and I would learn how to ride without training wheels so that I could fit in. Um, and, and I did, but, uh, they were fucking so mean to me. Sorry, I'm a cusser. Um, they were really, really mean. And I only bring this up because I, I, it's like, it was a pattern. You know, I, I've noticed some patterns about me, which is always, one of them is like, 
I want to fit in with whatever is over there. Like, whatever's over here, not good enough. Whatever over there, that's what I need. Um, and so, you know, like, I don't know, just being a little kid, whatever, I don't know. I could probably spend a lot of time trying to psychoanalyze what I was like as a little kid. But um, I would say that probably around fifth grade was a, was sort of a turning point. First of all, I got a guitar. If you play guitar, you will empathize that it is a curse and a blessing at the same time. And it was also around that time that I figured out that you can change yourself to fit in. You know, like if you want to be, if you, you can start wearing different clothes to be somebody else and everything. And so, um, you know, that was like a kind of another little pattern that I figured out about myself was that, you know, if I don't like... If you want to fit in, just change yourself. Just be somebody different. Whatever. Fake it. Um, and so, let's see. I don't know. Middle school. Stupid. Just a bunch of, like, stuff like wanting. It was around fifth grade that I guess girls started to like me. But one thing was, like, I always wanted the one that didn't. Um, <laughs> and so, it was like, that's kind of like what fucking middle school was like. It was like, oh, there's always some reason to be all, like, depressed and everything like that. But I had started playing in bands. And so, um, you know, a lot of the things about, like, middle school and even high school was, like, it was great. You know, like, I had a good experience. Um, I had my first drink in the summer before freshman year. And uh, it was, so like this dude came over and he had raided his parents' liquor cabinet and put a little bit of everything into a water bottle. <laughs> so I don't know if anybody else has ever had that kind of concoction where it's like like vodka and wine and, <laughs> and vermouth and like whatever you could get his hands on. It was so horrible. But we had, I had fun, but another friend of mine got, like, fallen to the bonfire, wasted and everything. And so, like, it, was, it kind of freaked me out. And plus, I still had a head full of dare, um, which, like, I kind of bought, I bought into, like, dare. I was like, oh, yeah. So, um, so really through, like, high school, I didn't drink. Um, and in fact, I, for a little period, I claimed, like, straight edge, which, in hindsight, I can say it was probably more of like some sort of self-righteousness where like everybody else drank and I was like, I don't have to drink to have a good time and stuff, you know, like, and it was my way of being like really judgy. Um, um, and that's, you know, like, so I didn't really drink much in high school until about junior year would start going to these like field parties and things. And I had this band that was like, it was like really, like, I don't know, in the context of this silly little town, we were a ska band, so <laughs> I cannot believe that I am not grossly wealthy right now sitting in front of me today. But we had, I had this band that we would like, you know, we would play all the dances and all these parties and stuff. And um, I was, the, I was the prom prince. I was editor of the newspaper. Uh, I was on the homecoming court. I had this really pretty girlfriend and stuff. So life was pretty good. But, uh, and, and I say that not to be boastful, but to point out that then there was this big tipping point. So I had this, like, really stable, like, cool life, you know, like, you know, fit in and everything. And then I went to college. And uh, I went to Michigan State. 
which I have no allegiances to now. But uh, when I, I remember the very first day, come on, man. <laughs> Relax, we're not to your part of the story yet. Um, when, uh, when I got to college, I was just terrified because all of that stability and everything and, and all that, like, this whole little thing that I had constructed, all the, you know, all the things that I had, like, changed and, and kind of, like, made to be this thing was now gone, and I was going to be, like, nobody. And so the, I remember the day I got to college, as my parents were leaving, and this is, like, a, also an example of, like, how dramatic I am, was, like, I was, my college was 45 minutes away from home. <laughs> and I was, like, oh, my God, this is such, like, I am so uncomfortable and terrified. Um, and it was like, as soon as my parents left, one of these guys from my high school came down the hall and was like, hey, do you want to go and smoke a bowl? And I hated weed. I didn't smoke weed. I thought, you know, like my drummer smoked weed and I used to get always mad at him about it. But, but um, that day I was like, yeah, let's go do this. And, I can, and that was the first time that I really can identify that I, that I used at my feelings. That I was like, I don't like how I feel and I'm going to change it. Um, and so, so then I smoked a whole lot of weed, like a lot of weed. And, you know, like same thing. Then you get a like welcome week out of college where you go to all these parties and everything. And it's just ridiculous. And there's kegs and it just seems like there's no rules at all. And it's like this strange little microcosm where there's no parents anywhere <laughs> and stuff. So like college in a lot of ways was, uh, was a lot of fun in that period of time, you know, like somehow managed to to get good grades and everything, but meanwhile was like baked all the time. I didn't learn a thing. And uh, and on the weekends was, you know, drunk and everything. Um, and it was also, I guess, around that time then where, you know, it's this whole like, I'm going to do what I want and stuff that I started then really like, you know, like cheating on my girlfriend, lying to people, you know, to try to get out of these jams that I was in. And, um, you know, meanwhile, somehow, like, I thought I was being, like, genuine. But um, but anyway, I was, you know, just this kind of, like, weird autopilot thing and um, started playing with the band right around the time that I was finished up with with college and uh started dating this girl and um between those two things then like cocaine started to make an appearance pretty regularly and I never paid for it that was my thing it was like I don't buy cocaine and stuff but somehow it was always there <laughs> and the uh the thing about cocaine and I know this is an AA meeting but the thing about it is you can drink a tremendous amount of alcohol when that gets thrown into the mix and stuff and so uh, there was you know I don't know bad thing part of my story and stuff but um, I was so, so by that point I had graduated from college and I'm like 21 years old I am totally not ready to be a grown up I am still completely delusional about wanting to be some sort of rock star and everything. So I've got like a college degree. I'm like, I have no job. 
I'm like just I don't know, living in these like party house type scenarios and stuff with like I don't know like 15 different people and um, and you know another thing actually I just I remember I made a note of this too like talking about all that weed um, I remember being in college and starting that was another time that I started to realize that I couldn't stop doing things like I would leave notes for myself like you know it was that weird cycle that it would be like okay today I'm not going to smoke or do any drinking or anything but then I would get home from class and be like well I'll just smoke a little bit and then go and do all that other stuff I said I was going to do and I wouldn't so I'd start leaving notes for myself like don't smoke any weed tomorrow and I would think I'll wake up in the morning and see it and then I won't smoke weed that day and um I don't well it didn't work so but um I remember being real frustrated by it and I you know I didn't really I don't know I didn't think like I had like a problem but you know looking back at it now with where I am now it's like I can see that that was sort of one of those beginnings of like not being able to control stuff so um so around that same time then was when I got my first DUI and um man you know like that's the thing is like in a college town DUIs are just sort of like a cash cow that's how they, you know, they make a ton of money off of that stuff. And so that's really, especially with the first one, that's kind of how they punish you the most. You know, it's like, hey, you know, we're going to hit you with a bunch of fines and everything that um, that I couldn't pay. So I'd ask my grandma, bless her heart, to help me out with a lot of stuff and, and make a lot of promises like, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen again. <laughs> Fast forward, we'll get to that. But um, um, so, yeah, so... Let's see. Playing, yeah, played in this band, and we we did some touring and stuff. We traveled around, and that was just like, you know, it's like people ask me like, "Oh, you toured and everything," and it's like it is not as glamorous as as you might think. Um, it was always like we would drive to these really pretty cities. Like you know, we'd be driving into Baltimore, and it was like, "Wow, look at how pretty Baltimore is!" And we would drive right past all that. <laughs> and um, and next thing you know, we're in the part of town. Like it was a hardcore band, so it there you know, we weren't playing like I don't know the big college bars and stuff. So we would end up driving to these places where like the, there was like blue light cameras to patrol it. The cops didn't even go, and we were playing like squat houses and getting paid in canned food. <laughs> but I thought I was like, we're doing it, man. <laughs> and like one of the, I remember one of the tours that we did. Uh, it, was, it was all fun and everything. But one of the tours that we did, I made a point that I was like, all I want to drink is like the regional shitty beer, like whatever in that particular city is sold in a 30 pack. I didn't know this, but every area has its own variety of like 30 pack shit beer. And so that was my mission was I was like, that's all I'm going to drink the whole time. And we're probably going to drink it out of beer bongs and stuff and like run on cars in Philadelphia and be really destructive and think it's funny and stuff. That was, <coughs> shit, that's probably somehow an amends. <laughs> Better write that down, but I don't know how I'll make that one up. I guess I'll just have to not run on cars in Philadelphia for the rest of my life. But um, then, though, like, as all that's going on, and, it, you know, this is how I'm living. I have, like, 
whack jobs, like my girlfriend and I would get in these absolute knockdown drag out fights where there would be like shit flying across the house at each other in the middle of some party and, um, <laughs> you know, like screaming at each other mo- most of the time because it would be like, I'm like, just leave me alone. And she was, my, my sister said I have a tendency to date chihuahuas. And I'm like, but um, anyway, they, you know, like that's these like super codependent type relationships where it's just absolute chaos. And meanwhile, that's how I'm living. I'm going to start telling the guys in my band and everybody else how they need to live. You know, like, oh, I can't believe you would buy a car. How could you get a car payment? We can't tour now and stuff. And so there's like this building of resentments at everybody in my world and everything. And um, it got to this boiling point where I just went on an absolute bender i was like living in the band van um which is terrifying and um you know like the girlfriend had moved to chicago the band is like you know everybody's pissed at me and everything and so i and a just fiery blaze of blaze of glory i'm like fuck you guys i quit and i'm moving away that is a pattern so that um so I moved back to my parents' house, um, which is pretty cool, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So now I've lived outside Detroit, I've lived in Lansing, Michigan, and now I've moved to Grand Rapids. And I was, I was like upside down because this band was everything to me, um, and you know, meanwhile I'm still thinking that the way that I live is, is normal. So... I'll try to get fast forward to the solution type stuff. But anyway, the time that I was in Grand Rapids, I got my second DUI, and that was the first time that I had to go to AA. Um, and I don't remember any of it because I wasn't an alcoholic. I was unlucky. I blew a .08. Give me a break. You could have let me go. So, um, so I really didn't pay that much attention, uh, except for, like, I remember at the meeting starting to think, like, maybe there is a way that you can live and, and enjoy life without drinking like the way that I do and stuff and everything. And But I had a buddy who was also court-ordered at the same time, and he was like, fuck that shit, dude. They're trying to brainwash you. Let's go party. <laughs> and, um, and once they took the alcohol tether off of my ankle, still not an alcoholic, mind you, um, it was right back out to it. And so... Um, I lost my license at that point. With the second one, they punish you a little bit more, and they thought, maybe you shouldn't drive a car for like a year. And my thinking was, well, then I'll just move to Chicago where I don't need a car. Not like, maybe I should stop drinking to do something about this. You know, I was, I was like 26, so I was like, I'll just move to Chicago. And, uh, you know... I'll show you. I don't know. Whatever. So, like, I moved to Chicago where you can ride your bicycle everywhere. Um, That may be one of the few byproducts of my alcoholism that I really do enjoy is that I, like, really enjoy bicycles. But uh, I was thinking when Rebecca was saying, like, yeah, he rides his bike all these places. It was like, well... Partially because state of Michigan thought maybe it'd be a good idea. Um, so, um, but once again, I've now I've moved to a new place, burned the whole thing down in, in Grand Rapids, and I mean it was just more drinking. There's not much to it there. I did. There were a couple instances where I almost like froze to death, 
Um, <laughs> Grand Rapids is pretty ridiculously cold. You know, like I don't spend a lot of time on war stories, but um, getting shit faced and walking around when it's negative five is not a good idea, especially when you don't know where you are. So, um, so I moved to Chicago, and um, you know, again, I'm in this like new city. I don't know anybody. Everybody and everything is like a new experience and stuff. And um, if you don't know, Chicago has bars that can stay open till 5 a.m. On, uh, on the weekends and they can stay open till 4 on the weeknights. So, um, and you know, if you're asking yourself like, how could you stay up until 5 a.m.? There's also delivery drug dealers. Um, we had one. This guy came around kind of like the last couple of years that I was there. Um, I don't know what his name was, but we called him the Falcon. Uh, I still think that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> like, there was just this guy called the Falcon. And, like, he would uh, bring drugs to wherever I was. And um, so I, but I'd I'd gotten this job and uh, at a at a technology company because I was like you know I'm gonna be a grown up now and, and do things right and uh, I was working in sales. Salespeople like to have happy hours like for hours and hours and hours um, every single day. So there was pretty much just drinking every day, but it didn't seem weird because that's what everybody in my world was doing. And at the same time, then I started playing with this other band and. Um, you know, like, I don't know, I thought we were pretty good. And then, um, man, I met this girl. Her name was Jamie, and she was the one. She was beautiful. I was Twitter-pated big time. So um, so I, I had it. Everything was kind of going smoothly. Uh, I was managing, I guess, you know, like all the little things that we look at to try to justify why we're not alcoholics. Like, I've got a job, and I'm number one, which because I don't like getting in trouble, so I would make sure to, like, do a good job just to not get in trouble. And then, um, you know, I had, a, I had a girlfriend, but that all started going crazy because, again, totally codependent, throwing shit at each other, all that kind of stuff. And uh, then I, I had this, you know, I had the band, and it was going great until... You know, the fact that I was drunk all the time started to make the singer of the band, who was also my roommate at the time, uh, decide that he couldn't deal with me anymore. And so he ended up moving out. Um, I was, like, doing drugs at work. I was drinking at lunch and everything. And I was, like, the sales manager. Um, and so everything... Everything was building up. It was all starting to catch up to me. All the lying, um, you know, the drinking, people telling me, you know, we're mad at you because of the way that you're drinking and me being like, you know, fuck you, don't tell me what to do and you're the one with the problem and it's all because you don't see things the way that I see it and that kind of stuff. It was just this like constant <coughs> trying to get out of some sort of jam, you know, like that was, that was it for there was a little period of time where I had changed my Facebook name to Scotty Pickles because I was always in some sort of pickle. And I thought it was funny. You know, like, that's part of, that was part of how my alcoholism was at the time, was I just thought it was all a big joke. 
And um, so let's see then. All this is going on, and then my dad dies. And I had stayed up all night partying. We went to some festival, and my grandma called me at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And grandma didn't call at 7 o'clock in the morning, so I knew something was wrong. They were on vacation, and uh, he had this like big heart attack. And, um, you know, I'm, I was like rushing to the airport to try to fly to D.C. to see my mom and everything. And uh, I got the call that dad had died. And that's a big turning point because my dad, throughout all this shit, was really still that kind of like rock, you know, the guy that I could call and be like, I don't know what's going on. And he was always like, everything's going to be all right, man. You know, like he was just really, really, uh, really kind of Zen guy. And he was this rock for me and my mom and my sisters. And, uh, and so when he died, I didn't realize it until a while later when I looked back that really a lot of that stuff had taken off, like, you know, just the partying all the time, because in a way, I guess he was like my, my higher power, you know, like I, that was who I could turn to, to get this, um, guidance. And, and when I lost that, it was like, I'm totally on my own. And so, um, so that really, really, really flipped me upside down was losing my dad. And um, I wasn't really there for my mom the way I should have been. Because, um, like I said, they were high school sweethearts. They'd been together since she was 15 years old. Um, and so this is when all of a sudden, like, Austin appears in my life. Now, it was like the last winter that I lived in Chicago was the polar vortex, where it was like 50 below zero for an entire month. And, um, you know, like... I don't know what I would do now if I went back to a place where it was 50 below zero. But at the time, all I could think of was, like, drink and do a bunch of drugs. Because what else do you do when it's 50 below outside? Um, especially when the Falcon doesn't care how cold it is. And he'll, he'll go wherever you are. Rain or shine. And so... Um, so this winter's going on, and the girl and I are like, you know, maybe we need to get away from this lifestyle. Maybe if we just went somewhere else, we could change our life and everything would be great. And uh, we started being like, you know, what about Austin? Here it's some kind of like Mecca or something. And like that started, you know, coming up. And uh, within a couple months, I had a call from my job saying we would like you to move to Austin. And um, I was terrified because I had all this stuff in Chicago, but... Um, Short story long, I ended up taking it, and it was one of these geographic um, attempts at getting sober where I was like, I'll move to Austin. I won't ha the Falcon won't drive that far, um, <laughs> and I'll get into all sorts of new hobbies. It's a music town. I can ride my bike. I'll just, it's going to be great, and I won't want to drink and all this stuff. And then the girl, when she finishes school, she'll move down there, and we'll buy one of these little houses with the picket fence and stuff, and I'm like not living a life anywhere near on that kind of trajectory, but telling myself that's what's going to happen. So I moved down, and uh, and that was really the beginning of the end then. Um, I really do believe that there was some sort of divine intervention that happened there because, and I think it was my dad, um, I thought I was just really cool, and that's why the company was like, you absolutely have to be the one to move to Austin. We'll pay you more, whatever it takes. we got to get you to Austin and stuff. Um, 
first I thought it was because I was really cool, but then there was six more months of drinking in Austin and I was all alone. I didn't know a single soul. Um, all I had to hold on to was the idea that the girl was coming down. And so it was like, all I would do is I would go to work every day and then I would come home and I would get wasted. And then on the weekends I would get wasted and then ride my bike around. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was kind of fun, I guess in a weird way to like just go to stores fucking wasted and stuff. But like, um, I would crash my bicycle, not so fun, but still thought it was kind of funny. Um, and, but it was like lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. Um, and I would tell myself like, don't, I'm, today I'm not gonna drink. You know, like I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna play guitar and I'm gonna write songs and I'm gonna go and make some friends and maybe I'll show up for one of those group rides and everything. And then it would be about like five o'clock and it was like, well, you know, maybe I'll just have one before I go and do all that stuff, and next thing you know, it was another day of the same thing, and it got to be this like Groundhog Day, rinse and repeat, and frustration about it, and then like there was no Falcon in Austin that I knew of at the time, so next thing you know, my drunk brain would be like, well, let's just go ride to like the bad part of town <laughs> and hang out until someone comes up and asks why I'm hanging out there, and that works, but uh, you can also get hustled for a lot of money and be very, very um, at risk uh, of, of danger. Um, I don't know how, again, I got a guardian angel, and they worked overtime for a while. Um, but like, all this is going on, and the girl's supposed to come down, and I was like, okay, you know what I'll do now? Okay, I'm gonna get a dog, and that's what's gonna keep me sober. I will have a puppy, and he'll be my friend, and I, want somebody, I won't have to be lonely when I get home from work, and I won't wanna drink, because I'll need to train him and stuff. And so that was where Zeke came into the picture. I found, uh, I found a little a breeder that would deliver him because I couldn't drive anywhere. So, um, you know, it was like, yeah, I was all hammered on this Sunday. I'm like, bring him the fuck over. <laughs> so, <laughs> drops off this dog, and it was like one day that I didn't drink because I had a puppy, and then it was right back to it, and it turns out you can drink with a puppy, and <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, you know, teaching them how to do stuff when you're drunk. I don't know. It was funny, but it, um, but that was it. There's, you know, Zeke was my last, my attempt, my last attempt at an easier, softer way. Well, like, you know, it was like, I'll get a dog and then I won't want to drink. And, uh, it was within a couple weeks of that, that I got the call from the girl that she was not going to be moving to Austin because of the way that I drank and because she couldn't see any life with me and everything. And it took about one day to figure out that she already had a new boyfriend. And so uh, I went on the most, I don't know, not even the most epic vendor. I just got fucking hammered for like an entire weekend. It was fun, fun, fun fest. Not much fun, fun, fun. Um, but... Uh, yeah, by that Sunday, I was like, I was so angry, and really, I was just trying to do everything I could, breaking and reaching it, how I can keep, how I can stay gold in the situation, and keep everything the way that I want it, and um, I sent all these horrible messages, and, you know, it was just awful to her, and, the, you know, it was that, that very next day, then, that... I woke up and I realized that I had said all these horrible things to this person that I claimed that I loved, um, that 
there was no talking my way out of the situation this time. It was like the buck stops here, dude. You know, like she's gone. And um, then this little voice in my head, well, there was one powerful voice in my head that was like, kill yourself. This other voice in my head was like, download the big book and start reading it. And so that Friday night, uh, that was a Monday, that Friday night I went to the Seat and Mind Institute because I thought I was crazy and I told this doctor the whole story about what's going on and he's like, you need to go to AA. <laughs> um, you know, it was a total letdown. I was like, give me a reason for why I'm this way. Like, I have a mental problem, clearly, right? Uh, give me a pill so I can take something and change how I feel. And he was like, that's not how any of this works. Go to AA. And um, so, like, I came here on that Saturday, and, uh, and actually Jim, I heard him tell his story, and it was real similar about getting to college and going off the rails and then all these, this stuff, and I could, I could relate to it. And um, I, stuck, I, I stuck around for the first year. I, put, I said I would put everything on hold for the first year because if I had spent 15 years raising hell, if I could, I looked at my grandma, she was 93 at the time, and I was 31, and I was like, well, fuck, man, that means I got 60 more years, potentially, to have a really cool life. I can either be miserable, or I could have this really cool life, so maybe I can afford one year to really dedicate to just this, and not complicate anything else with anything else, and that's what I did, and so I got a sponsor, I worked all, I worked the steps, um, Right up to about the ninth one, I did my I did my first amends, and it felt great. The book tells me you might do this, which is you're going to do an amends. It's going to feel really good, and you'll be tempted to rest on your laurels. Um, I hadn't read that at that point. I've read that more recently and was like, shit, that's what I did. And um, around that one-year mark, I started taking on another stuff. Um, and I, there was a, I started playing with a band and then I got, I lost a job and then I got two other jobs. So I had the band, I had two jobs. I started taking night classes on audio engineering at ACC. Um, so all my time was booked up and it was great because I was still riding this spiritual high of like having worked the 12 steps, but I stopped contacting my sponsor, um, I didn't have a good regiment of the, you know, daily practices of like, you know, nightlies every morning do this, but uh, I always went to meetings. And so in life, in years like two and three of sobriety, um, I didn't know it was happening, but my will was creeping back in. And, um, that's when weird things started to happen, like eating disorders and shit. And like, um, and I mean, like, take your pick of the eating disorder. I had it and was good at it, I guess. I don't know, bad. But they are, um, but those were just little ways. What it was, was without knowing it, all these things that troubled me, all the patterns that had brought me into the rooms were creeping in. And I knew I couldn't drink, but I'll escape any way that I can. So you can... You know, you can exercise too much, like running 11 miles. That's kind of compulsive and stuff. But, uh, you know, I never got locked up for running 11 miles. Um, and then, you know, all these things. 
that were, were going on were kind of new, new diversionary tactics, new ways of not really looking at what was going on and really staying so busy that I didn't really even have, a to- have time. Um, and it was, you know what I'll say, like there was a lot of cool stuff that happened during that time though too. I mean, I, it, it's good being sober. It's good being sober, you know, like I had this chance to, to do things like work at a cool bar and not drink while I was there, you know, like I could be around that vibe and not want to, not want to drink. I've, when I would go around and clean up <laughs> the empty bottles and cans on the table, I would pick up some that were totally full. Like somebody had bought a beer, had a sip and was like, I am going to leave now and go do something else. I never in my life did that. I never, ever just was like, okay, I'll just walk away from this. First, because I'm cheap, and second, because I'm a total alcoholic. And so that was another little reaffirmation that I was like, yeah, I think I must be an alcoholic. But um, uh, earlier this year, a lot started to happen where it was like I had this band, we were doing really well, but then there was this like absolute blow up. A singer, you know, put his foot in his mouth, and we were in the crosshairs, so that was all fucked. Um, I I met a girl that I really really liked, and she decided to just sort of ghost, so that fucked me up. <laughs> then. Um, then let's see, there was like opportunities for job changes. It was like everything right at the same time started happening, like romance and finance and the whole thing. And I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have a program. I didn't have anything. And I was going absolutely crazy. And it brought me to my knees. Um, I almost I almost went back out. I mean, I never, the thing that scares me is like after, so I've got four years of sobriety now. I don't think about drinking. That doesn't look like a good option, but what scares me is I'll kill myself. You know, like that's what scares me about, you know, letting myself get so far off the path with, um, with working a program. So the point there was that, um, it's a cautionary note, you know, like a lot of the things that they say in the book might happen, they happen to me. Um, just like people said, might, you know, if you don't do these things, uh, you might, the, the craziness might come back. But, um, but I got a new sponsor at the beginning, around uh, April this year. I, from the very beginning, was like, I don't care how much time I have, I'm gonna act like I'm a newcomer. And so the first day that we met together and everything, he was like, I want you to read the first 164 pages three times this week. And I was like, what (laughs) the fuck? You know, like, I am hurting right now. I need solution. That's what you told me to do. But here's the thing. I had asked this person to be my sponsor. I had prayed before I asked him to help me find a good sponsor to do this. And if that's what came back at me, then that's what I was going to do, even if I didn't understand it. So I read the first 164 pages three times in one week. Um, It was pretty brutal. Um, But then um, I did... You know, the subsequent steps. If he said, do this, I did that. We meet every Sunday. Um, And now new types of peace have started to creep back into into life. And, um, you know, new opportunities to be of service. Like, I'm I'm the program chair now for the next year. If you want to chair a meeting, get with me. Um, I'm that guy. I did not nominate myself to tell my story that wasn't like a big ploy like oh i'll be the program chair and you all have to listen to me um uh but 
you know, new things have started to creep back in. And even though life doesn't always look the way that I want it to, I have this faith and it's part of the third step about, you know, when I, when I turn my life over, that's super abstract. You know, it's like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm going to turn my life over to the care of God. Uh, I don't know what that means, but what I do know is that if I'm willing to do that, which means tell somebody else what's going on in my life honestly, and then they come back and say, well, you might think about doing this. That is probably what I needed, and so I'll go and do that thing. When we say this is a program of suggestions, you know, when somebody makes a suggestion, my encouragement is to do that thing. You know, like I, I guess it depends on if it's something really screwed up. I haven't encountered that, I guess. But, um, you know, take the suggestions. Life gets better. Um, you'll have all sorts of opportunities to meet people and do new things. Whatever you think you'd like in life, you can have. You know, if you want to be in a band, be in a band. If you want to get a little black dog, get a little black dog. Um, but um, that's about time. So thank you all for sitting here and listening to my story, good, bad, or otherwise. And if you'd like to know more, you can talk at the meeting. Thank you. Thank you.